Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are reading from 2 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through the apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these words, also, the word of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved by fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you, ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day God and speed is cu- its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes with the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorance and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Thank you so much, James and Jemima, for reading that special scripture so beautifully for us this morning. Well, friends, over the last few weeks, we've been reading through um, Peter's two letters. Uh, The nine weeks seems to have gone, well, has gone very, very quickly. Um, We've looked at six chapters well, pretty well, we missed one chapter in, in the first letter. And here we are up to the, the last letter, the second letter of Peter and his last chapter. And it's, it's a very special thing to consider that this was probably, as far as we know, the last piece of writing that Peter gave to the early Christians. Very soon after Peter had finished this letter... Um, He was called home to be with the Lord and he was put to death in a very cruel and brutal manner. Probably around about AD 67 or somewhere like that. And this morning we're coming not just to the end of his letter but we're coming to the climax 
this beautiful theme that he's introduced right from the start in talking to us about the coming of the day of the Lord. Now, I don't know when you last heard a message on the second coming, the coming again of Jesus, the return of Christ. Um, It's something we believe in um, passionately, but we don't often hear preaching about it. And one of the the values in your devotional reading, in going through a letter or a gospel or a character in the Bible consecutively, inevitably, you come across most of the major aspects of our faith, our Christian faith. And I think we've experienced that, I hope you have, as we've journeyed together through um, Peter's letters. It's certainly been a blessing to me to spend time reflecting on these letters and I hope it has been for you as you've read and, and absorbed much of this teaching as well. So this, this last chapter from Peter's last writing takes on great importance for us. I wonder whether you have in your memory bank or in your collection of, of goodies, say a letter or a card or a gift that, that came to you from some person who's no longer with you, maybe they've moved away, maybe they've died, or a memory of a, of a final conversation before somebody moved overseas and you've not seen them since. That kind of last communication takes on a special level of importance. And in a sense, this last chapter of Peter does the same for us. And he reminds us right at the beginning that this is his second letter. He didn't say it was his last letter. I don't know whether you intended to write another letter after this. But I don't think it matters much because he's come to the climax of his writing and he's come to the climax of the gospel in reminding us of the coming day of the Lord. And that's what we want to look at today. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful chapter. And in Peter's characteristic style, it's clear, it's, it's passionate, and it's uncomplicated. And that's why I like reading through Peter's letters, particularly as he unpacks for us something about the coming again of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a few of these things and I trust that what we talk about and think about and speak about this morning will be accessible by the youngest member of our congregation here this morning because it's not complicated what Peter has to say for us. And we find that the theme that Peter's leading us into, the promised coming of Jesus, is not just reserved for this last part of his letter, but it's a theme that goes right the way through. You'll remember some of the scriptures that we've already read. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he talks about when Christ is revealed. In chapter 4, he talks about the end of all things. And he says the end of all things is near. Chapter 5 of the first letter, he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away when the chief shepherd appears. 
And he picks up the theme in, in his second letter, chapter 1. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we, we dwelt on that beautiful promise last week. Um, and in this chapter, he tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. He says, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Do all you can to speed the coming of the day of the Lord. So in these chapters, in these two letters, he repeats this theme. It's not just something that he leaves till the end. He certainly gives it emphasis right at the end of the second letter, but it's something that's built into his faith and understanding of the gospel all the way through. Now, you'll be aware of other graphic, far more graphic pictures of the second coming in other parts of Scripture. We go back to Acts and we read about the ascension of Jesus and we're told there that the angels gave the promise to the disciples who were there and they saw Jesus physically taken from them into glory and the angel said, this same Jesus will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. That doesn't seem to me to be a very complicated statement, promise, for even the youngest to understand. This same Jesus will come again in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. <clears throat> in other scriptures in the Gospels, we read that the Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God will, will occur. The dead in Christ will rise. <clears throat> the believers who are still alive and left behind will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Jesus will come in the clouds of heaven in power and in great glory. Every eye shall see him, every tongue confess, every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will come like a thief in the night. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, this beautiful home of righteousness that we thought about last week. So in other parts of scripture, there are these dramatic pictures that he used to describe this climactic event. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in them will be laid bare. I remember as a youngster reading these things and, and asking myself, how could all this kind of cataclysmic, cosmic activity ever occur? How could it happen? But then we read our newspapers, we watch our televisions today, and we see all kinds of events right now that people are going through. We, we, we read about searing heat in Japan and also in London. We read about wild bushfires down on the beach outside of Athens. We see vivid pictures of fires in California. We read of occasional, all too often, 
explosions of technology, nuclear explosions, and things like this. So that in a sense, as these things happen, microcosmic in comparison with the graphic pictures that we have in scripture, it's not as difficult for us today to understand that these extravagant events could occur. There's always that possibility. But the thing about Peter is that he keeps the theme clear. And over the years there have been some well-intentioned people who've, who've taken many of these more graphic descriptions of the coming again of Jesus and they've tried to link them together into some kind of consecutive order and then they've gone a step further and tried to align them up with political movements across the world and then, almost in disobedience to scripture, they've tried to put dates alongside these events. And the result of that is that for many people, many young people, many older people, the thought of the second coming of Jesus just becomes too complicated and we leave it alone. And that's a great shame and we miss out when we can read it so clearly in this letter of Peter. So there are those graphic pictures in Scripture, but here in Peter we have this clear statement. Let me say to you this morning, friends, that the coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord, brings with it this promise of rock-solid certainty. And as we leave this morning, we ought not to be in any doubt about what the Scripture says about the coming back to earth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter spoke about the fact that he had to face up to cynics, um, critics, people who mocked at early Christians, believing that this same Jesus was going to come back to the earth again. But friends, Peter was, un, was not unsettled by the, the, the criticisms and the, and the clever mockery and cynicism of the naysayers and the opponents. His faith was strong and robust and he wasn't phased by what other people said. His faith was founded on the sure and certain words of the Old Testament prophets, on the words of Jesus and the commands that Jesus gave to the early apostles recorded for us in the New Testament. And friends, if that base was strong enough for Peter's faith, it's also strong enough for our faith as well, is it not? We read in Scripture that God works to a timetable. And this is the response to those people back in Peter's day and possibly still in our day who say, well, if Jesus gave this promise that one day he was going to return, what's keeping him from coming back again? Well, we do read in Scripture that God works to a timetable. Jesus said quite clearly in John chapter 14, verse 3, I will come back and take you to be with me. Clear, a clear promise that we can understand. But thinking about the birth of Jesus, that happened at exactly the time that God wanted it to happen. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, at the right 
time Jesus was born. As far as Jesus' death on the cross was concerned, that timing wasn't determined by the Jewish leaders or by the Roman soldiers. It was exactly in accordance with God's timing because Jesus lived his life within the timing of God. And there were times when Jesus had to remind his mother and his disciples, my time has not yet come. But there came that time when Jesus said, Father, the time has come. And this was the time for Jesus to go to the cross. We also read in Acts that Paul declared that there is a right time for Jesus to return. And this is the answer to those who question why God is delaying. Paul, in speaking (coughs) to the Christians at Athens, said, God has appointed a time when he will judge the earth by a man whom he has appointed. And he's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Friends, don't be deterred by what might appear to be God's delay. God knows what he's doing and God's timetable is impeccable. And so as we move towards the end of our message this morning, the day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, let's ask ourselves, what does this mean for us today? Whoops. What does this mean for us today? Let me just say a few things. Firstly, in this chapter, Peter says, I've written both of these reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Think about these things. Think about these things. Don't skip over them. Don't think that the the great truth and promise of the coming again of Jesus is too difficult for you to get a handle on. Read these scriptures. Think about them. Absorb the truth of them. What else? Keep your faith strong. Don't worry about what the critics say. Don't take any notice of how the secular media comments on issues of Christian faith. Because the Bible has them sorted out clearly when the scripture says the natural man, the natural person, receives not the things of the spirit. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. And unless a person is connected with God and has the the, the person of the Holy Spirit within, of course those people can't understand the truths of Scripture. So friends, keep your faith strong. Don't be phased by what the world around might say. Don't Don't be deterred by the delay of the coming again of Jesus. What does Peter say in verse 9 and verse 15? He says, Bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping the promise, as some understand slowness, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone 
to come to repentance and faith. The Lord is delaying this day of grace so that more and more people have the opportunity of hearing the gospel and making um, a response of faith. Peter reminds us that it's a day of opportunity for us to be witnesses. In his first letter, chapter 3 and verse 15, he calls us always to be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to articulate in clear and simple ways why you're a Christian, why you follow Jesus. And hopefully your witness and your lifestyle will make other people curious to know why you follow Jesus. Realise that this delay is an opportunity for our evangelism, for the ministries of this church into the community. One of the promises of, of the gospel says that the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end. The gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end. And so, friends, the, the promise of the coming again of Jesus is the greatest motivation we have to send MAF people flying aeroplanes around different parts of Australia and nearby countries. It's why numerous workers go and live in, in communes and among slums in Asia. It's why Christian workers go and, and exercise medicine and agriculture and teaching around the world so that more people in this day of grace will have an opportunity of coming to faith in Christ. The delay of Jesus and the promise of his coming is our greatest motivation to be involved in ministry and mission. But friends, there's a huge challenge for us here. This letter of Peter in verse 11 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Friends, there's a challenge for us. As we as we receive this promise, as we rejoice in the promise, the challenge for us is to live godly lives in Christ Jesus until he comes again. Dorothy Sayers, talking about judgment and salvation, said, if people don't understand the meaning of judgment, how can they understand the meaning of grace? Beautiful statement. And friends, finally, the coming again of Jesus focuses our hope in the grace and the mercy of God. We know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Paul speaks about that great hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the greatest hope of all. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So friends, there are implications for us not just to sit back and, and gloat about the promise, but to live it out, 
to be motivated in our witness, in our godly living as we follow Jesus. And this beautiful letter, second letter of Peter, finishes with a blessing and a benediction for us all. And we could spend time on this, which we won't this morning, but verse 18, the last words that Peter ever wrote. Listen to these. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's our challenge. Grow, continue to grow in grace. The character of Jesus, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in that though he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor. The grace of Jesus, grow in that to become more and more like Jesus. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I read this lovely little conversation the other day about an ambitious young university student who was talking with his wise uncle. And the uncle said to to his um, nephew, tell me, what do you plan to do after you graduate from university? Oh, Sam said, "Um, I guess I'll start my career. Well, that sounds prudent. What then? Well, I guess I'll get married, have a family. It's a wonderful idea. What then? Well, he replied, I I guess I'll go out and make my fortune. Good for you. What then? Well, he said, I'll buy a country house and I'll retire. That sounds very inviting. What then? Hmm. Well, I suppose one day I'll die. Hmm. That's true said the uncle. What then? How do you answer that question? Let's pray, shall we? Our Father and our God, you are so gracious with us. You've sent your Son to be our Saviour our Lord and our friend. You've given us these rich and precious promises. You've promised that Jesus, your son, our Lord, will come again so that where he is, there we will be also. Lord, in this intervening period, help us to be faithful to the gospel that you've planted in our hearts. And let us be absolutely certain that our faith is bedded in our Saviour Jesus Christ. And send us from this day on as your faithful and loyal service, servants. And give us the privilege, Lord, of seeing others come to faith in Christ. To this great task we commit ourselves again today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks, Graham.